0: All right, well, we may have a few more people uh, still still come in this morning, but uh, it's almost 10 after, so we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, good to see you guys. This warm, I mean, I think like summer's, summer's here. I looked at the forecast on my phone. It showed highs of 90 and above every day on the extended forecast as far out as it would go, so if you were eagerly awaiting summer, now is your time. Um, but it is good to have you this morning. Let's, um, let's pray, ask the Lord to use this time to teach us, and then we'll jump in. Father, we do uh, come to you this morning uh, seeking you. Where we know that uh, you love us, you've you given us your word to make yourself known to us. Um, you want us to know you, to walk with you relationship with you, and so we pray that even this morning, Lord, you would use our time together, um, looking at your word to do that, to to teach us more of who you are, more of uh, what you desire for us, how we can walk with you, and Lord, how we can um, fulfill this great commission you've given to us to go and make disciples, Um, so Lord, be glorified this morning by what happens here in our, in our teaching and listening and thinking. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in our services this morning, uh, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I don't know what you all did this weekend, but uh, Ryan and I and, uh, and a couple other families... Took our kids on an overnight float trip on the Kings River. So um, I think, and I, so I think this kind of the, the where this all came from is because obviously there was the father son. The church had the father son trip last weekend. And some of us have daughters, and our daughters were like, "What about us?" You know, there's, the boys get to go do this fun thing. What's the fun thing for the girls? And so uh, Robbie owns dad, Robbie uh, called me earlier this week. Or texted me earlier this week. It's like, hey, let's do this. Let's go. You know, we can leave Friday. We'll float down and just pull over somewhere and camp. And then we'll float. You know, the wives meet us Saturday and we'll finish out and just float all day Saturday. First, I'm thinking, like, I've got a bajillion things to do, right? I've got uh, teaching this morning, prepare for a lesson. I've got uh, my classes and my master's program started, summer classes were starting back this week, so I had homework for those also and then just thinking about, you know I've camped, we like to camp and I like to to canoe and float, but I've never done them both together and I know that like when we go camping, there's a I mean, my whole back of my truck's full of stuff for like one night, you know and I'm thinking, how am I going to get all this stuff in the there's, you're just not going to be able to get all this stuff into a canoe, so it's There's not going to be a campsite. It's just going to be pulling over on a gravel bar or something like that, like out in the (laughs) wherever you can find. And so as the week went along, I'm trying to think, am I going to do this? Do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? Um, It was kind of wishy-washy on the fence most most of the week. And then you're kind of thinking, too, you know, it's going to be hot. I've got a house, perfectly good house, that I pay mortgage on. You know, it's got Air conditioning. I've got a key, you know a nice comfy bed to sleep in, and so it brings this thought: like, what would motivate a person to do that—to go out and to spend a night? You know, and I've, we have some friends who the husband is a real outdoorsy, and the wife is not that much. And like her, she doesn't like to camp at all. Her her comment to that is, you know, <laughs> we're paying. We have the house. We have the bed. We for all this stuff, like, why would we want to go live like we're homeless for a couple of nights, really? You know, and ex- like experience that. And that's kind of what I was thinking. And, and this was again like getting out into the rough. So I didn't, couldn't take an air mattress, couldn't take anything. So just, to just on the the minimum, bare minimums that you could get in the canoe, get on and it was, I'm still, I'm sore this morning in places. Like, I don't know how from canoeing or from camping you get sore in the side of your calf. Maybe from walking around on river rocks I guess and, and things, but laying on the like there's just a lot of it that was you just think, why would somebody do that, right? But then the flip side is there were motivations. One, my friends were going. That sounded fun. Two, the chance to make memories with my daughters and Robbie really was Persuasive and helping me understand that if it's a total disaster, that will just be a bigger memory that you'll have to share with them, you know, um, down the road. But there were reasons for doing that, right? Um, the chance, even just to, uh, yeah, spend time with them and then and then build those memories. And so today, some of that's what we're going to be looking at with discipling is motivation, the the why behind what we do. Um, last week, we, we defined discipling, talk, saw that uh, the kind of definition that we used, coming, and this was coming from uh, a class at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, was that discipling is intentionally encouraging other Christians through deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's Word. So today we want to build on that, follow up with it, and think more about um, just what would me- motivate a person. To invest in discipling relationships. Particularly, we're going to be focusing today more on as a discipler, pour, investing yourself into somebody else to try to be the one helping them. And so, um, discipling is something that we kind of need all through ourselves, all throughout the process. One, we, ca- we can be a discipler pouring into somebody else, we also need other people discipling, pouring into us. And then just in our relationships with our friends, I think we talked about last week, we disciple each other. But today, we're going to be thinking more so along the lines of why would I invest myself into this relationship of trying to influence and encourage somebody else in their walk with Christ. Um, In doing that, we're going to look really at Paul. As I was thinking this week, Paul, we know him as a missionary, and that really entails a lot of evangelism. We think of him as somebody who's going and preaching the gospel in places where it's never been preached, right, and uh, uh, sharing the gospel with Gentiles and making converts in places by leading them to faith in the Lord, but um, and certainly Paul is a, a prolific evangelist, but he's not... We don't only see him as an evangelist we see in many of the the, the, uh, his missionary journeys that as he would stop somewhere as he would go to a new place and share the gospel with people to lead them to christ that he would end up spending considerable amount of time in that place you know sometimes weeks days um, sometimes more than a year in one place um pouring himself into these people to help teach them what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, now you put your faith in Jesus and then he would, he was really kind of the epitome of a discipler of doing that, of walking with folks and teaching them exactly what it means to um, serve the Lord and to walk faithfully with Jesus. Church at Philippi is, is one of those examples, read about Paul, uh, first. Uh, Going to Philippi on his second missionary journey, you can read about that in Acts sixteen. Um, remember, he was headed one direction and had a vision in the night. And somebody in Macedonia saying, "Come, come to us," and then he went over and to Philippi, a city in Macedonia. Um, it was there in Philippi where he, he led uh, Lydia to the Lord, and also was then arrested and ended up, mirac- you know, the miracle night and leading the Philippian jailer uh, to his family to the Lord. Um, in Acts 20, we hear about that after Paul had left Philippi and gone on in Acts 20, we read about him returning to Macedonia, going back to that area and encouraging those Christians again, these young believers, so so wanted to keep that relationship up and keep pouring into them. And then obviously we have his letter to the Philippians that he penned later on when, after he was arrested where he's still his heart is to see them keep walking faithfully and to keep growing, and he's, how can I uh, communicate this with them, what it means to follow Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at this morning is um, just a a few verses in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul is writing to them again, following up to encourage them in their walk, um, thanking them for their relationship and partnership with him, but Uh, particularly here in verses 3 through 11, this introductory part where Paul is uh, really offering a prayer of thanksgiving for these believers and for his relationship with them. I think that as I was reading through this, I just see it, it gives us kind of a glimpse into Paul's heart, into the heart of a discipler and what motivated him in his relationship with these believers, in his relationship and trying to pour into them and teach them and some things maybe that will be, uh, I think, instructive, are instructive to us also as we think about relationships with others and pouring ourselves and investing ourselves into others for their sanctification and their uh, walk with Christ. So let's read through that uh, real quick, and then we'll, we'll just point out some observations um, about what motivated Paul uh, to invest in discipling relationships. So he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, excuse me, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, Um, you can see, if you got one of the handouts there, basically, I, as, we, as I was reading through this, just kind of picked out what I see as five things that motivated Paul as he was investing himself in these discipling relationships and his relationship with the Philippians uh, to help them walk closer with Jesus. And the first one that I see... Um, here in verses 3 through 5 is um, because of the joy that he received, or because of the joy in, that we receive, right, in, in discipling. So uh, Paul notes in verse 4, or, or in verses 3 and 4, he says, um, you know, that as he's praying for them, he thanks God and for them, and he makes his prayer, he says, what in verse 4? With joy. And this isn't the only place that Paul speaks of joy or uses this language of the joy that, that he receives from seeing other people, seeing uh, the people that he's led to the Lord walk close with Christ. Um, even in this in this same letter in uh, over in chapter two in verse two um, in this section where he's encouraging them to to act humbly towards one another right to serve each other not to look out for your own interest but also to look for the interest of others and he tells them in chapter, in verse two he says what complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord of one mind and so he's saying that it will bring me joy to see you walk more faithfully with christ to see you live out what it means to be godly to to grow in sanctification and holiness, that that is a source of joy for me. So do this because that'll that'll bring me joy. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, just one more example, 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 19 and 20, Paul's talking to the Christians there in Thessalonica and says, For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? What well, is it not you? You are our glory and joy. So... For Paul, um, these relationships, this process of discipleship was a source of personal joy for him. And then as you look at verse 5, what is it about the Philippians? This is not a rhetorical question. This is a participatory question. What is it about the Philippians that Paul says brings him joy? Yeah, their partnership with him in the gospel. Some uh, some Bibles translate that their participation in the gospel. Um, that word there, interestingly enough, to, for partnership, uh, participation, is that Greek word koinonia. That um, also is used for fellowship in other places. And so when we see your partnership in the gospel and just what we know about the church at Philippi, Paul certainly could have in mind their working with him, supporting him as he um, goes on as a missionary. And we know that the church at Philippi did support him in his missionary endeavors. But I think on a more broad sense, Paul doesn't have, based on this word on the broader sense, Paul doesn't have just in mind that he's thankful and that he gets joy because they're supporting him financially and supporting him in his missionary journeys, but their partnership in the gospel it's not just partnership in the work, but it's that fellowship as fellow believers, right? That I'm thankful because we have fellowship together. Because I see you, and you're, you're living out the gospel, and I'm living out the gospel. And we're living it out together, and that brings me joy when I see you grow in your walk with Christ. And that's a source of joy for him. And so... For anyone, I think, who has experienced this in your own life, whether that's with a friend, with an accountability partner, with somebody at church. Maybe you've led some, had, the, had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord and then walking with them and seeing them grow in their faith. As a parent, maybe you've seen this with your kids or you, you know the joy that you experience when you see one of your kids lean into their relationship with Christ and walk faithfully uh, with him, and so there is tremendous joy that we receive personally um, in walking with others as in, in their walk with Christ, in discipling others. Um, John MacArthur puts this way in his commentary on Philippians: He says, "To be in the company of those who are joint heirs with Christ, people who love, care for, understand." pray for and with each other who minister and fight the good fight together is to be assured of abundant and abiding joy. And so, you know, it sounds kind of selfish and maybe we think, oh, I shouldn't do this for what I get out of it, but the Bible presents that as as when we help others, um, when we encourage others and teach others that this... in discipling relationships that there is a joy and a satisfaction that we get out of it and that is a um, legitimate motivation for us in pursuing these relationships and in participating in them Um, a second one that i see as we as we continue on here in verse six right paul says and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Um, And so I think a second reason for uh, involving ourselves investing in discipling relationships and maybe even more so persevering in discipling relationships is because of our confidence in the Spirit. And so Paul says, "There, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." And so, our first question is just this: What what's the good work that Paul is referring to in verse six, and who began this work? So, what's the good work, and who and who is the he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's I mean, in its simplest term, I think he's talking about your salvation, obviously beginning with your regeneration, and then when he talks about completing it the day of Jesus, I think this good works is ultimately our glorification and becoming, you know, having perfect fellowship with God. And certainly it's the Holy Spirit that we see that God is the the agent of the Godhead that works this out in our lives. And then what words there in verse six does Paul used to express his confidence in the spirit there words do you see there that, that express confidence in the spirit here? I'm sure right yeah absolutely I am sure there's a certainty there um, on Paul's part anything else that you see there that expresses confidence in the spirit yeah exactly those i mean those are the two that that i saw there he says i am sure of this it's something i'm confident of he says the spirit that he will not that that he's going to try to do it not that he has great intentions to do it but that he will bring it to completion and so how is this a motivation or reason for discipling and I guess the the logic that, I, that that made sense to me this week, as I was reading that, is that confidence in the, that the Spirit will accomplish His work, confidence that He will accomplish His work, motivates us to remain faithful in discipling when we feel like giving up. Right? I think that in in many aspects of life, discouragement is a great stealer of motivation. <laughs> right? I think the the um, Exercise industry, gyms, see this uh, play out every single year, right? Usually at the beginning part of the year. Many of us see it play out in our own lives. And so I know at times, kind of like now, when I start feeling like I'm really more out of shape than I'd like to be, I need to get back more into shape. And so I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start jogging. And, and then I make this critical mistake, which is to start jogging and then start weighing yourself every day right check and see how much good did that do today when i went out and weighed i weigh myself before i jog come back in and that that can be helpful because you'll sweat <laughs> out you know maybe a pound or something while you're doing it feel like you're making but if you weigh yourself every day there's a tendency to get discouraged and then to give up and say i'm not going to keep doing this why because you don't see the results that you think you ought to see fast enough if you start you know i'm Ran, I ran three days this week, and I didn't lose any weight. Like, what's going on here? This isn't worth it. I might as well give up. And I think, you know, and have experienced to some degree, that the, that there's a similar reality that can take place in walking through discipling relationships and walking through even just friendships or with your kids, or, but particularly in friendships and discipling relationships with others where, you don't see the results in them that you think that you ought to see in the time frame that you think you ought to see it. And that can be really discouraging. Like, what am I doing here? You know, this is a waste of my time. Nothing's happening. It's, this isn't working. And then we give up and just whatever. Let them fend for themselves. I'll fend for myself. But what we see here, Paul says, I'm sure what? I'm sure that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it. If they're a believer, ultimately they are going to be glorified. Um, There is good things taking place, and we can't always, just because we can't see it, doesn't mean that it's not happening, right? I think it's kind of like that seed in the ground. When you plant it and go out and check it day after day, You know, it's just still dirt there. But eventually word works and that seed opens up, some roots sprout right, and ultimately fruit springs forth and again God does that work also um, but he will complete it and that's a motivation not to give up but I think second thing that I see here is the confidence that it is the spirit who will accomplish his work can also be a motivating factor, can also be a reason for us to jump into uh, this world of discipling and encouraging our friends. And I say that because of this because I think when we are confident that it's the spirit who will accomplish the work, that that can motivate us when we feel unqualified and helpless, um, which I think is again, a discouragement that can steal our motivation and keep us out of the picture. I can What do I have to offer? I'm, I'm not living perfectly myself, right? So how can I speak into the life of somebody else? Um, I don't know enough Bible. I don't have the Bible memorized. I don't pray well enough. How can I speak into them and help them follow Jesus more closely? But Paul says, no, no, no. Paul didn't say, I'm sure of this, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you along to completion in Christ. He says, I'm sure that he who began this good work in you, he will bring it to completion in Christ. And because he's going to do it, I can just be faithful. I can just Make myself available, walk with you, and do what I can, and we'll walk together, trusting that God's going to do this work here. Um, Verses 7 and 8, Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so, um, a third reason that I see here that that Paul is involved, involving himself, investing himself in these discipling relationships, particularly here, he he kind of expresses his, his love for them, right? um Paul went to Macedonia, he went to Philippi, why? Because the spirit directed him. Right? He, he he was headed one way and this, he had a vision, the spirit come over to Macedonia and preach to us. And so he and even when you think of his his missionary journey is just a larger context, motivation why? Well, it started with obedience, right? This is what the Lord's called me to do. This said go go share the gospel preached to the Gentiles. And so Paul is, maybe his initial motivation for going there in the first place is just obedience. He didn't know any of these. He'd never been there before. He didn't know these people. He didn't have any kind of relationship with them. But certainly the language that he uses here, we see that while he may have uh, gone to Philippi because of obedience... Um, he had grown to genuinely love them we see it again more even explicitly expressed later on towards the end of the letter in chapter 4 verse 1 where he says therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown so this relationship Paul is motivated by um, how he feels about them his love his care his concern for them Um, you know I think he's kind of like a loving parent here right he, he cares for them he wants their best and he knows and understands that, that that's going to be to have a strong and close walk with Christ um, as I was thinking about this it kind of begs the question for, for, for me is how, how do I feel about my brothers and sisters here here even at UBC, right? Um, is that language that Paul uses for these brothers and sisters in Philippi, is that the type of language that expresses my feelings, right? Do I, in other words, do I, do I feel that way? Do I love my brothers and sisters here, um, do I, am I just indifferent towards them and what they've got going on and their walk with the Lord or even worse maybe do I dis- dislike them can't stand them I mean that would be the worst case scenario but I think it really does beg the question for, for us of you know if I'm not involved with this if I'm certainly not even thinking about their holiness their walk with the Lord how I can be involved in that um that may be an area that I need to self-examine and ask the Lord to help me grow in love for my brothers and sisters, that I would care more about them, um, that I would care about their walk with Christ, um, that I would care enough about it to be involved with them and to invest in relationships with them. fourth reason and one that seems like maybe when we think about discipling and just what it is and what it entails um, might be one of the first to me I think it was the first before I even jumped into the text if I was just you know you told me make a list of why be involved in discipling relationships I think this would be the one that probably comes the most naturally to my mind um, but it is for the need for sanctification so, looking at verses nine through eleven, um, especially the kind of the first part of the first phrase there, clause in verse eleven, but nine through eleven, what things do you see Paul praying for the Philippians? What does he want for them? What does he say he's praying would would be true of them and happen in and, and through them? Where's some observations you can? okay yeah i mean i think the the very the very first one that i see there uh, it's my prayer right there in verse nine that your love may abound more and more so there's there's very very first observation you see that, that your love lo- that they were growing love um, in the word that that your that your love would abound more and more other observations and just straight words i'm this isn't even your interpretation i'm just Observations with the words that you see in the text. that says that he wants them to to grow in, or that it would be true of them. Yeah, so there's a whole list of them right there. I mean, certainly we can combine all this into one, but I think there's a whole list of things that Paul says that he's praying for them to be true of them. One. That, you would abound, that your love may abound more and more um, with knowledge and discernment. I say he's praying that you would have knowledge, that you would have discernment, um, that you would be able to approve, that you would approve what is excellent, that you would be pure and blameless, filled with righteousness. And so we see what does paul want for them and i think this goes back really and it's kind of very closely tied to the last one number four that his he was motivated by love for them and just what he said that out of love he wants their best for them and he understands that what's best for them is to know jesus and what's best for them is to walk with jesus to walk faithfully and to walk in holiness with Jesus. In other words, he wants them to be sanctified, right? He wants them to grow in godliness. He wants them to grow in spiritual maturity. And so we understand that, that Paul is probably the most, straightforward preacher of salvation by grace alone, God's grace alone, and not of our merit, not by our holiness, not by our sanctification, not by anything we bring to the table. Said, Salvation is um, by grace, not of works. This is the Paul that we understand. This is the gospel that we cherish, that, that Jesus accepts us in our sin, in our filth, gives us his righteousness, that our righteousness finally is a righteousness that is Foreign to us, that is Christ's righteousness applied to our hearts, and that's how we stand before God. That's why we're justified. That's why God will accept us, is because of just us receiving Christ's righteousness. And Paul, we get that a whole lot from Paul, and yet Paul also is the same one who then, to those Christians who would receive Jesus, receive that righteousness by faith, by grace alone, simply clinging to Christ, who would also then say, okay, now be who you are, right? And would say in 1 Thessalonians 4 5 to people, and I know we have some some younger adults in here, and I know for myself as a younger adult, and even as a middle-aged adult, one of the questions that we want to know is, what's God's will for my life? And oftentimes we're thinking about, is it God's will for me to get married? Is it God's will for me to go to this school? Is it God's will for me to go to that school? To get this job? To take that job? to, What's God's will for my life? And Paul would say very simply in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification. <laughs> um, you want to know what God really finally wants for you? To know him, to walk with him, to live out and let him pour into you and become Christ-like and godly in whatever relationship you're in, in whatever job you're in, in whatever school you go to. Um, And this is what Paul preaches. Salvation by grace alone, but then your sanctification, your growth in godliness, your moving towards Christ-likeness. Calvin says the whole lives of Christians ought to be a kind of aspiration after piety that old word for holiness, for godliness, for obeying the commands of God. Seeing that they are called unto holiness. And so, we need to grow in holiness. Um, Our kids need to grow in holiness. Our friends sitting next to us in the room here and maybe in other classes throughout the church and that we'll join together with and to, in the corporate service here in a few minutes, they need to grow in holiness, to grow in conformity to the image of Christ and grow in godliness, to be sanctified. Um, it's a great need that all of us have. It's what God wants for us. But the truth is, or at least I feel that it's the truth in my life, certainly in my life and people I know, is that sanctification, this growth in godliness, move towards Christ-likeness, is not something that we just fall into. Right? It's not something that just happens automatically, that we can just sit and be lazy, and we're just going to become more godly by doing nothing, become more Christ-like by doing nothing. Um, It is certainly the work of the Spirit, who who works in and through us, but he uses means to do it, right? Um, Our own sin nature that we still have until until that work is completed. The whole world, all of these things, forces around us in this world are pulling us away from sanctification, are doing all that they can to drag us away from godliness, away from holiness, away from Christ-likeness. And so we need help and encouragement in this, right? We need to be reading the Word ourselves and to be encouraged daily by hearing from God and having Him speak into us. We need the encouragement and truth, reminders of the truth, of listening to teaching and listening to preaching, the Word preached and um, the Word applied through song, through 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 gospel uh, lyrics. We need all of that because it's like I said, our tendency is probably to to fall the other direction if left to our own. And because we need that, then encouraging others to to follow Christ faithfully, encouraging our friends, encouraging our kids, speaking truth into them, um, even teaching them, even though we may feel like that seems awfully prideful for me to think of myself as a teacher of somebody who's my same age, right, or maybe just a few years. I don't feel like, a, like I'm competent or qualified or godly enough to be a teacher of somebody else, but we need to understand that even teaching somebody else to follow Christ faithfully, all that means is do we know the truth, do we have the truth here, and can we speak the truth of God's word into them? Not, again, going back to last week, not ourselves, not our own opinions and ideas, but the truth of God's word to them and open the Bible together, that's a form of teaching them what it says. That's not prideful, right? That's necessary. I need people doing that, speaking that into my life, right? Whether you believe it or know it or not, you need others doing that, speaking that truth into your life. Why? Because we have a tendency not to believe the truth, to believe lies not to grow in godliness and so this is a motivation for paul we can you can just hear it in his prayer for them and and, and not just here but in the, his other letters for the other christians that he has come to know and has led to the lord and just his heart for them his motivation is to keep investing so that they'll keep growing so that they'll keep knowing christ more deeply and walking with him more faithfully and more godly and sanctified. Then the last one, as he as he closes out this section, the second part of uh, verse eleven, right? He he kind of brings this all to a culmination where he says, "Filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ, why, to the glory and praise of God." And so. This one happens to be last, but I would say is also right the the ultimate uh, motivation for being involved in discipling, um, help, encouraging others to follow Jesus faithfully is because it glorifies God. Um, John Piper says defines uh, God's glory this way: he said the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfection. And then he says uh, also then that glorifying God means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfection. God's glory is everything that's just infinitely beautiful and wondrous about him that sets him apart from everything else um, you know it's that grandeur of God that we the psalmist would write about and It says the heavens are declaring the glory of God so I just look up and see the sky and how amazing and big and bright and beautiful it is that this just shows me how wonderful and great God is and then glorifying God is, is doing things, living in a way, acting in a way, thinking in a way that puts that on display, right? That, that puts it on display in our own lives and puts it on display for the world to see through us that God is who he is. That, that basically is doing things that tell the truth about God to the limited extent that we can as sinners. And the Bible sets this as a primary motivation for Christians, right? Paul would Paul would say this. uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Verse that we're familiar with, right? Then whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? Do all to whatever you're doing, do it to glorify God, to bring glory to God. This ought to be a motivation in the decisions we make, the things that we give ourselves to. And how do we do that? Well, God is glorified when his people are sanctified. Uh, one way that, that we can see this truth play out, um, John 15, 8, Jesus talking to the disciples, tell them this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And in that verse he doesn't explicitly say what the fruit is that they're to bear that's going to um, prove that they're his disciples. He would go on. In that passage and talk about their love for one another.
1: Um, what was is, citation on that?
0: John. That's uh, John fifteen eight. Yeah, Thank you. sure. Um, but I think just the way that the New Testament and, and other authors speak of even fruit um, that it doesn't have to be just limited specifically to the fruit of, of loving one another that Jesus is talking about. There, but even just the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, as that grows in us, and the fruit, I mean, think about the fruit and reproducing how, I mean, I think just the, the language and the imagery there, that that's what a plant does, is it reproduces, it bears fruit, and you think about, I think that's a great application to discipling, and how the fruit that we can bear in sharing the gospel with others, and then in pouring ourselves in and seeing fruit spring up and then that fruit of godliness, that fruit of growing to be in fellowship with Christ. And so Paul was motivated to help the Philippians uh, grow towards spiritual maturity because doing so glorified God. And so uh, some of you may have grown up with with parents uh, teaching you catechisms, some of you may have kids that you have taught catechisms or that you are currently using teaching catechisms But and I don't know all of them Leah knows them a lot better than I do um, and our kids know them a whole lot better than, than I do but I do know a few of the questions and I know um, certainly one of that first question. you know what's the chief end of man to enjoy God and um, glorify him right and then why should I glorify God? Because he loves me and takes care of me. Um, how can I glorify God? By doing what he commands. Loving him and doing what he commands, right? And so how can I glorify God? If lo- I had to, if I'd have just looked down, I would have had to make myself look ignorant. <laughs> I had it written down here. How can I glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. And I would say, and it's really included in that because he does command it. Say by loving him and doing what he commands, and we glorify God by helping others do the same thing. Right? By, by giving ourselves, investing in the lives of our friends and our kids to help them love God and do what he commands, also, that this brings him glory too. So, one thing that, that I didn't draw out because it's not in this particular passage, I mean, and I think it's probably the most obvious, if I'd have just walked in here and said, why should we be involved in making disciples? Um, would anybody have said because of obedience? Because Jesus tells us to <laughs> in the Great Commission that we should be doing this. So, yeah. So certainly, I think that one is a given. I mean, Jesus says, "Go make disciples, teaching them, you know, baptizing them, teaching them what I've, what I've told you." Um, so obedience is definitely um, a reason. For investing in discipling relationships, um, a good reason, a sufficient reason, in and of itself. Um, but I think, in His goodness to us, in His kindness to us, that God has, in through His Word and even through this example of Paul, I think given us other reasons, other motivations besides like obedience is the reason; it is a sufficient reason, but it's not the only reason. Right? There are other good reasons to be for us to be um, involved in this, culminating in the fact that when we are investing in the lives of our friends to help them know Jesus and to walk more faithfully with Him and we're encouraging them, speaking truth to them um, that that glorifies God um, which ultimately The highest thing that we can do as humans, right, is to bring glory to God. So, yeah, I wrapped up early enough to have any any comments, anything that anything maybe that's been a motivator. So these are some motivators that just drew out from Paul. That's not the definitive, you know, be all end all list of reasons to be involved or motivations to be involved in discipling relationships uh, with other people. Some of you, maybe, who have experienced these, who have been on the, you know, involved in a relationship like that, can you think of anything that's maybe motivated you that we've left off here, or that you that, um, that I didn't draw out, or or any other thoughts that you have about this? Questions. If you have any questions, I'll do my best. Simply, uh, One thing that comes to mind is, uh, I
2: think sometimes I think like, you know, since God's sovereign does these, he like sets up all of the different relationships and people who hang out with other people and we have spheres of people we are near because God has orchestrated in that way so Like now come and follow me. It's not it's not like that necessarily, or you know, yeah, but it is a like I want to do like our definition from last week, I want to do spiritual good for you. So just kind of thinking um one motivation is like God is sovereign over this and God is providentially working out his plan in all sorts of ways, and I and I want to be a part of that, and yeah, which ties into all the stuff
0: else I was just just thinking of one here and this doesn't come out of this text and I would have to you know this is maybe just more experiential um I can point you to right off the top of my head but I'm just thinking about in my own life you know that I know that I've been motivated at times in in by the opportunity to try to redeem maybe some things that I've gone through and experienced myself some pitfalls that I've uh Fell into, jumped headlong into at times um, that were devastating by not by not walking faithfully with God by by disobeying Him, and I think just the opportunity to try, like I said, to redeem those and to uh, let the Lord use even that bad experience and that um, that past sin to try to help point somebody else away from that path, right, to help, hey, this, you know, we did, I did this, and it didn't work, right, it didn't, I didn't get what I thought I was going to get out of it, so avoid, you know, let me try to speak truth to you before you, before you make that same mistake that I did, I think is a, is for me, is a motivator, uh, whether that's to my kids, or even just to other friends. And I think even just that, and it doesn't have to be like t- terrible sin. I think, you know, those of us who have kids there's a, or are married, there's just a great you know, in His kindness, God has given us experiences that lead, that, that there's wisdom in some of those experiences of uh, how we relate to one another, how we relate to our kids that people who haven't been there yet don't know, right? And because we've been there, you do know, and that is a way, you know, how do you do family devotions? Well, we've got friends who have little kids and they're probably getting really discouraged because they're trying to sit down and do a family devotion and it's not working out because the kids are everywhere, right, and they're going to want to quit, and somebody who's been there and experienced that can, I mean, I feel like that's a form of discipling, right, to pour in, keep keep going with it, just shorten it. <laughs> right? Remember, you've got Short, uh, attention spans, or whatever the experience is that God has given us and the Spirit has already worked through in our life, that those are uh, wealth of opportunities that we can, um, I don't know, that, those are some things I think that are motivators also.
1: I mean, I, I just want to echo that and agree, because I think genuine love for our Christian brothers would motivate
0: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other just pitfall in that, though, is to not make it about our story, but to make it about based on truth of Scripture yeah. and really leaning into Scripture and not just, hey, just sharing. Is hard to do to not right? Yeah, that's a good word. We um, wanna,
1: we have this like personal testimony culture in the church, you know, and that all that, like, people don't need.
0: Good uh, guardrails there to, to to keep us where we where we should be for sure. Um, yeah, and because ultimately, even thinking about the you know whatever pain that you experienced or, or going and making wrong choices, whatever you outcome you experienced of that, that's ultimately not even the reason for people not to do that. The reason is because God's word says do this don't do that right not because of what it might result in um, because there's a lot of people who make those wrong choices and seem to not experience the same type of thing so so how do you speak to that right so, but the, but the word is the truth uh, regardless yeah absolutely very good all right well uh yeah excellent ryan would you want to close us in prayer this morning
2: Father, we're thankful for your words that you have given us. You're our Heavenly Father. You love us and you have begun a good work in us for in Christ. And so you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so along the way, I pray that this week we would look for opportunities to um, do spiritual good to others around us. I pray that, Lord, where we lack motivation, where we lack joy, where we lack love, where we lack the desire to Of sanctification as we're busy by our life, that you would even help our want to, you would even help our desire. Give us desire, Lord. Give us motivation through these different things Evan's brought out today. I pray that it would all be for your glory and that we would um, put feet to the, 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 um, the desires that.